Hi, I'm Michael Miller, and this is my bride, Karen, and we are here to talk about 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, and today's sermon is entitled Representing Christ in Marriage, and uh, I think what we're going to do, at least to start, is we'll just ask each other some questions, so, and I think I've got dibs. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 say... Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. All right, so I already have a bunch of questions on this one. All right. So here's my first question. At the very beginning, it says, in the same way. What does that refer to? Mm. Okay, well... Peter's continuing an idea here, and it's not that uh, wives are like slaves, which was the, the last application of his point. It's not that husbands are emperors, which was the prior uh, example that he gave. He's saying, for the same reasons, submit yourselves. Because you're part of the kingdom of God, you run by a whole different set of rules than comes naturally. You're going to live differently and whoever you are in Christ, it's going to be a life of submission. We're all citizens, so that applies to us. Not all of us have uh, masters in the same sense a servant does, but we all have someone we're responsible to and work in some way. And Peter is saying, here's another common but difficult example, marriage. Okay, so we're called to a life of submission. Yes. Get that. All right, my next question is wifely submission, though a present reality for me and all women in Christ, or is it more relevant to Peter's time and culture? I see what you're saying, and, and people debate this. Um, they, there are lots of opinions on this subject, but for people united by the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, his life of bold, confident submission is still our model. At Church of the Valley, we talk about making Jesus the center of our lives, not adding him to a list somewhere. We encourage each other to hear what the word says and put it into action. And submission of a husband or to a husband is is a thing that's that's taught by scripture. It doesn't contradict the equality of the, the sexes in Christ. It doesn't contradict that. And Peter is not teaching here that all women are to be subject to all men. Um, this is you to your husband, somebody else to theirs. Peter is addressing married women who have been made citizens of God's kingdom by Christ, telling them, okay, then your task is to submit to your husbands because of Jesus. Some of those husbands, though, don't share that citizenship in God's kingdom. And Peter says, the wife's hope isn't in convincing, and it's definitely not in conniving. It's... Uh, resembling is mm -hmm. the thing they're doing, resembling their king. And this is something in our own ways we all have to do until things are done on earth the way they are in heaven fully. Okay, so I'm hearing we are equally valued but have different roles. And my role is uh, to submit to you. All right. <laughs> I say that with some trepidation. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get there. So. Okay. Um, next question, it says, if any of them are disobedient to the word referring to husbands. So what I'm wondering is, does that mean, uh, is that referring to unbelieving husbands? 
Or is that referring to believing husbands that are presently disobedient to the word or both? Gotcha. That's a good question. Uh, I think we have to start with the NIV says, do not believe. The Greek words say, do not obey. Mm -hmm. So do not obey the word. And yes, there isn't a husband who obeys the word at all points at all times. So Peter, though, is particularly talking about those who don't obey the gospel. He used a similar phrase back in chapter 2 in verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the message. Well, they stumble and miss Jesus because they don't value him as the cornerstone, which is what he was. So uh, they've rejected him. They fall because they don't obey what message? The message of the gospel. And I guess my answer is, it's speaking of all husbands, even and probably especially those who don't obey the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, that helps clear that up. All right. I think this is my last question. Um, this section was, uh, it talks about uh, women being submissive and without a word. And that part confuses me because I know that, let's say Ephesians 4.29 says to speak words that build up for the need of the moment. And so what is that saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was going to try to answer that question without a word, but yeah. we'll see if that didn't work. Aren't you funny? Uh, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> um, but words are important. Peter says back in chapter 1, uh, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He says, for people come and go, and I quote scripture saying that more more poetically, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Peter's big on word ministry. Word ministry is how people come to faith. But although Peter says new life comes from the response to the word of God, once you've explained the gospel, uh, it's not your job to keep nagging about it. So once you've explained it and it's understood, whether it's accepted or rejected, your life is now the illustration of what the gospel means in a person's life. And we get to be seen up close and all too personal sometimes, so we can be good illustrations or bad illustrations, which means we've got other words to say. We've got apologies to make when we don't represent Christ well. We've got re-explanations to make as we come to understand things better or realize somebody doesn't understand some aspect of the gospel. So there are still words, uh, but moment to moment, day to day, your life is the, uh, the witness, the illustration of those words. Oh, thank you. Yeah. How about one last one? Okay. I do have one more. Okay. Um, and it's kind of critical to understanding this passage. So my question is, what does it actually mean to submit? Okay. Um, well, we can give you the lexical answer. This form of hupotasso uh, means to become subject to. Clears everything up, right? Crystal clear, very helpful. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, we found a, a definition that we like that, that Tim Keller gave. The word submit which is uh, what hupotasso means, is a military word that means you give up your individual rights for the common good. You don't go to bed when you want and get up when you want. You don't march when you want. You don't do drills when you want. Why? 
because you're part of a bigger whole and we're gonna die if you think like that. Therefore, you have to serve the common good. We've already seen the instruction to submit to human authorities and for slaves to submit to masters. Peter's explaining that because we are citizens of God's kingdom, we have a whole different way of living and submitting and honoring authorities and masters, even if they treat us badly or unjust. And we don't get a pass because they're a bad emperor or a bad master, and in this case, a bad husband. You don't join the military to experience ultimate personal freedom, though hopefully you join the military in part so that others can experience more freedom. And, uh, you know, in God's kingdom, you're freed from sin, not to, to have it be about you, but to pursue the good of others. So it's consistent with, with the overall message of scripture. And you don't get married to experience personal fulfillment. You ought not get married at any rate to experience personal fulfillment. You get married to be an ambassador of Christ to your spouse. Cool. A high calling. <laughs> all right, my turn. Um, so that, that all sounds great, but why is submitting so hard? Yeah, it's a word that many women kind of bristle when they hear it. Um, Men too. I think <laughs> part of the problem is in American culture, we're just a very independent, self-reliant culture. We like to be right, we like to be in control, uh, we want our needs and desires to be met, and I think a lot of us want to be on the, you know, the marriage will fulfill me plan, or since then the marriage will sanctify me plan. Uh, and I think a lot of women fear that in submitting, uh, they'll lose control, they'll be a doormat, they'll get walked over, they'll even lose themselves. Mm. And I think if we're honest, we fear a little bit of not getting our own needs and desires met. So that's hard. Um, so how do we turn that around? How do we think about it in a positive way? I think we have to go back to our relationship with the Lord and think about, okay, why do we submit to the Lord and how does that work out? And so we do that first by laying out our pride, recognizing that we don't always know what's best and that we really need God's uh, to lead and guide us, right? And we walk in faith and obedience. And know, we do that knowing that's how we live with the Lord, but we also know that that's how God's going to produce joy in our life and kind of life in me and life in others. Mm. So that's a really good outcome. I like the life. I like the joy. So now I can translate that to submitting to my husband. Okay. Okay. So it's a similar process. I have to lay down my pride. I have to assume that I always don't always know what's best. And I have to trust your heart for me, um, that you're working for my good. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're going to make mistakes. But that I can trust that if after we've talked and we can't agree, that I can respect your decision. Okay. So not easy to do. Yeah. That's another thing I think is hard is um, submitting can sometimes feel like you get to do what you want and I have to do what you want. Christ is the head of the husband. If I trust in Christ's love, discipline, and headship, then I can trust that the Lord knows how to get his attention, convict him of sin, and work in him to love and serve me well. God's work generally and often isn't in my right now kind of timeline, hmm. and so I get to exercise both faith and patience. <laughs> All right, but I'd like to argue that submitting doesn't have to be hard. 
So Mike and I are going to give you a couple real-life examples. Hey, Karen. Hey, Mike. You have had quite a week. Yes, I have. <laughs> so I was thinking that maybe you could use a little time away from things. So uh, why don't you go get yourself some coffee or get your mask and go see a friend mm. and I got the kids we'll hold the fort down okay awesome thank you <laughs> sure thank you hey hey so you're teaching online this year yay <laughs> so I was thinking that maybe we ought to do something to convert the outdoor office to a place that you could actually use to teach that would be amazing Okay, let's figure out what that would involve. Right, full power, full internet, maybe a whiteboard. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so you get the idea. Submitting isn't hard when my husband is practicing Philippians 2, 3 and 4, and Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. What are those? <laughs> well, Philippians <laughs> 2, 3 and 4 says, uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Mm. And then Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Oh, well, those are both really easy to do. <laughs> Piece of cake. <laughs> All right, so on my side, submitting is a little bit harder uh, when I'm in the wrong and you're in the right. Fortunately, that doesn't happen much. Yeah, right, but, <laughs> you know, I don't like to be wrong, and I really like to be right. Uh, so here's another example of what that might look like. <sighs> I'm so frustrated with the kids. I did not handle that well. <sighs> I hate it when they can't hear my nail and just like, argue with me. Hmm. Yeah, you know how that can be. Uh, you might try listening to them a little more and seeing where they are before mm -hmm. you weigh in. <laughs> no, no, that's a good idea. I see you do it, and it works really So it's actually hardest to submit when I'm pretty sure I'm right and I'm pretty sure you're wrong, right? So quick story, one time we were driving home from San Diego and I fell asleep, which I tend to do. And when I woke up, I, I discovered that uh, we were on the Western route on Highway 5. And at that time, everyone knew that the Eastern route was definitely better. and would save us hours of time. We would be stuck in LA traffic. Um, I did not handle that well. I blew up, I'm sure you remember. And then I just shut down and I was silent and it was a really long, unpleasant car ride. Um, you know, and after weeks and some time of reflection, um, I did realize it would have been much easier just to respect your decision, realize that I'd messed up in falling asleep and enjoy the ride longer or shorter. <laughs> Well, that's easy enough to say, but that's hard to do oftentimes. So I know what I do instead. What do wives do instead, generally, would you say? So if they aren't on the submitting plan, mm -hmm. 
um, they have some choices. I really like this quote from Tim Keller. He says, if two spouses are spending a day together, the question of who gets each's pleasure and who gives in can present itself every few minutes. And when it does, there are three possibilities. You can offer to serve the other with joy. You can make the offer with coldness and resentment, or you can selfishly insist on your own way. All right, so there's a bunch of ways women get this wrong. So at times, women like to reverse roles. So rather than submitting, they like to take charge. They want to be in control. And uh, often they have a list of demands or honeydew lists, and they nag. And really, they're more about uh, wanting to get what they want rather than wanting to represent Christ to their husbands. And we see this in Genesis 3 when Eve is in the garden and she's talking with the serpent, serpent and she doesn't really involve her husband or consult her husband. Who doesn't step up to lead either. All right, so he's being pretty passive in this uh, situation and she's calling the shots. And as we know, that didn't work out so well for either one of them. For sure. <laughs> so second way things go wrong is women can be contentious. So they're constantly arguing with their husbands about big things, about little things, and um, Proverbs has a few things to say about women like that. Uh, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Ouch. <laughs> Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. And my favorite, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Glad you've never been on a corner of a roof so far. I'm glad I've never okay. had to. All right, third way women go wrong is uh, they'll tend to withdraw and be cold and resentful. And so they may, may look good on the outside. It may look like they're submitting, they're serving, they're helping, but their heart's not in it. And inside they're kind of bitter or angry. Um, so a couple of examples of this, one of this I relate to a lot, especially earlier uh, in our marriage, but so husband's had a rough day at work and he comes home and he needs some space and time to decompress. Meanwhile, the wife's been spending the day with the kids and she's exhausted and worn out and needs a break. And so she decides to give the break to her husband, but inwardly is envious and resentful Another thing I hear pretty often is uh, that women feel like they're the only one working on the marriage. They're the one who are trying to forgive, trying to work on their character, trying to serve, trying to communicate in general. Um, and honestly, they're just being tired of the one who is stepping up all the time. Yeah. And they feel like they're putting in the effort, but they're not seeing any effort from their husband. And that's tough. Yeah. How does someone submit with a joyful heart, given that there are so many pretty good reasons not to? <laughs> right. Um, pretty much without Jesus' help, it's impossible. Um, so we're going to look to Christ's example. But the first thing we need to know is that joy and submission are possible together. Mm. We read in Hebrews 12, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hmm. So, Jesus knew that the outcome of his suffering would be good, 
And so joy was available in the present, trusting that God would work that out for good in the end. So that's the first thing. The second thing we need to know is that submission isn't natural, and it's for sure not always easy. And again, we're going to look to Jesus' example this time in the garden. Luke 22 says, He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Submitting can be hard and costly. Uh, as you know, when we were dating, I pretty quickly found out that you had made a three-year commitment to a singles ministry and needed to remain single for three years. I didn't know I was going to meet you. <laughs> right. And I felt like you were the only guy in the area who made that commitment. I'm 30 at the time. I already knew I wanted to marry you, and three years felt like a really long time. So I remember the day I sat uh, in our church at the time. I had a friend on the right and on the left, and I just sobbed. And they prayed for me, and I surrendered um, the timing of our marriage to God. And it was really hard. Um, and yet, looking back, I can see God's goodness in that. We both had so much growing to do in Christ, and I see really his hand of protection over us. Yeah. Yeah, rid of the costly protection. Yeah. All right. And lastly, finding joy. How do we find joy in submitting, especially when our husbands are struggling with sin? And uh, we don't have to insult or retaliate or threaten. We can entrust that situation to God and live out the gospel. So that's especially a time and an opportunity for the gospel to forgive more often, to pray more fervently to um, suffer without retaliating. And I think we need to remember that we too are equally sinful. And I know I want a compassionate response. And so I should offer you that same kind of compassionate response. And we see this in First Peter uh, 2. This is Christ's example. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. <sighs> so, this is hard stuff. <laughs> Uh, as Tim Keller says, don't try this at home without the proper equipment, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, but I just kind of want to sum up how I've grown in this area in our marriage. So, as you know, early on in our marriage, I was pretty arrogant. And oftentimes, I thought I was right, and you were wrong. Seems like a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I, ha I had a critical spirit and I had learned somewhere that um, even if I was 2% of the problem, I needed to own my 2%. And so as God and I sat there together with uh, my 2%, uh, he often revealed that, gosh, my part was really more like 30% or 70% or even 98%. 
Um, very humbling. <laughs> uh, and what I know is I can't first fix any, any percent of your part of the problem, but I can work on 100% of my part of the problem. And I also want to say that I've grown a lot um, in our 20 years of marriage in how much I just love and respect you. Um, and I've grown to just really trust your heart for me and your good judgment. And growing in that respect makes it so much easier to um, submit when we've had our discussions and we just come to an impasse. And I can defer to your judgment at that point. Thanks. Okay, so how does the one make that a practice in life to submit with a joyful heart? So I think we have to look at the gospel. And the gospel is this. It's that you're so lost and flawed that Jesus had to die for you. But you're so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for you. And I don't serve you to earn your love or your respect. I serve you because you are loved and respected. And I want to show Christ's love and respect and value for you and how I treat you. So we come to our second set of verses, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. All right, so our principle here is that inner beauty is of great worth in God's sight. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love this quote from Mary Wilson. She says, At times, we're tempted to distract ourselves from our pain with the external and the material. Whether married or single, many of us feel dissatisfied in our station in life. And it can be so tempting to hush that loud cry of our hearts with stuff. Stuff can give us an illusion of that control we so desperately crave. Have a bad day at work. Go buy some new shoes. Just got rejected by another guy, get on social media and post that striking picture of yourself from spring break. When we're most aware of our inadequacies, we're most tempted to find significance in our hair, our jewelry, our clothes, our bank accounts, our academic degrees, the success of our children, the success of our ministry. We adorn ourselves with these things so that our lives will feel full, but we do it because we feel so empty. Um, so when I was a teen, as you know, I didn't, I didn't like my personality. I was too shy, too fearful, and I wanted to be more like both of my best friends who are very outgoing and very well liked. Um, and since I didn't think I could fix my personality, I thought I would look good. And so I wanted to be size too skinny and tan and be fashionable, which I always kind of just sort of failed at. And I definitely envied people also who look like that. But what I didn't grasp is what the psalmist knew. That I was fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I didn't grasp that Christ-like character, that gentle and quiet spirit, would make me beautiful in a way that would never fade. And that word gentle is the same word that Jesus uses to describe himself in Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. So how do we get that unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit? We come to Jesus, we learn from him, we lay down our unattractive and selfish desires to control, to retaliate, to remain critical and resentful. And then we allow God to produce his fruit in our loves, lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. In the 24 years that I've known you, um, you have gone from a person who was actually very sick and was fearful of dying the doctors didn't know what you had. Uh, you had been in a tech job that was very easy for you, had gone to school to be an educator, and were fearful of life in the classroom. And uh, 24 years later, you're, you're not fearful unless there's a spider involved. <laughs> and you're, you're not a person who is um, shy to say, hard, true words when they ought to be said, and you're not a person who shies away from relationship, even costly relationship with people. And I just feel like you've you've grown so much in your Christ-like character that it, it's worth saying that development happens, and I've gotten to see it up, up close. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, according to how you spend your time, what would people say that you value more? Outward beauty or godly inward beauty? According to your self-portrayal, what you talk about, what you post online, where you get your self-image. Do you get it from outward beauty or success? Or do you get it from inward godly character? Outward beauty is going to fade, I promise you. It's going to leave us empty. But inward beauty lasts not just a lifetime, but forever. And it's of great worth in God's sight. Let's go to 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and not give way to fear. Okay, so we're back to the topic of submission. <laughs> Shocking, and if we read carefully, we realize that submission starts with hope in God and ends with not giving way to fear. Mm, I like that. And in the middle, Peter gives us an example to follow. I was surprised because I was thinking about the incident where Sarah and Abraham didn't have a child, and so Sarah decides to tell Abraham to sleep with her servant Hagar. And then Hagar gets pregnant, and then she mistreats Hagar, and Hagar runs away. I'm like, I don't think I want to follow that, that example. But if, <laughs> good. But if you read through Genesis, um, and even parts of Hebrew 11, Sarah's commended more than I remembered. And so my question was, when did Sarah follow Abraham, as far as we know, without complaint? Hebrews 11.8, she left her hometown and family and set out with Abraham to follow the Lord to some unknown destination. Genesis 12.14, she followed Abraham down to Egypt as the Lord instructed. Genesis 20.11-13, Abraham told her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So twice she submitted to Abraham's request to wrongly identify herself as Abraham's sister 
and twice men of power, including the pharaoh, wanted to take her for their wife because she was apparently so beautiful. And thankfully, the Lord intervened for both of them uh, both times. So when Sarah learned that she would have a child in her old age, past the age of childbearing, she laughed to herself and she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And she's referring to Abraham as her Lord, her curios, her protector. And lastly, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age and was enabled to bear children because she was considered him faithful, who had made the promise. So she did hope in God, and God intervened numerous times on her behalf, sometimes because of Abraham, sometimes in spite of Abraham. It's very encouraging to me. So I really like this quote from John Piper. What is a wife's aim? To magnify God's superior worth by hoping in him above the husband and by showing that this results in a life that is more husband honoring than if he were her idol. Mm. So here's my question. When do you tend to place your hope in your spouse rather than in God? And then what attitudes or behaviors in your spouse lead you to fear in some way? And last but not least, how can you both trust in the new creation God has made your spouse to be and submit knowing that God is for you both? We've made it to our final section. We're going to read 1 Peter 3, 7, which says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that you that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, well, guys, we've got one verse left. Why is that? Is it because we've got it all together? No. <laughs> is it because one verse is all we can handle? Probably not, but that's more persuasive. I think it's because Peter's original audience lived in a society where whatever the husband's religion was, that's what the whole family's religion, really the whole household was. And that made being a Christian husband easier in the cultures that Peter was writing to than it might be today. Still, this one verse packs quite a punch. So we've got six things here, gonna stack them up. Likewise, consider, treat with respect, weaker partner, heirs of life, and hindered prayers. So the first one, husbands in the same way. In other words, hey guys, I'm gonna give you one sentence, but it fits with everything else I've been saying. You two are foreigners here. Your home is in God's kingdom and you're just working here as part of the embassy. You, like your wife, are free, but I've got instructions about how you're gonna use that freedom. Second thing is how do we then use that freedom? And the NIV says, be considerate. But the words in the Greek are live according to understanding. And I think the NIV is trying to get at that in a different way. They're, they're saying husbands, guys who wanna be husbands, consider. Think, operate with understanding. Think about your husbanding, if that's a word. <laughs> I like it. Okay, it is now. Uh, think about it in the light of the gospel. I know plenty of men who are much more purposeful with employees than they are with their wives. And I think Peter's saying, you have to put in effort here and thought as you would into any other important area. So think about what your wife needs and what you need to provide for her to thrive. All right, third one, respect. 
So right now, Naomi's back at home painting some bedrooms at our house. I got her all set up with the painting gear and thought she was ready to go. And then I looked in one of the pans I'd given her to pour the paint into, and there was dirt and crud at the bottom. So here's what happens if you do that. You pour the paint in, the crud gets incorporated in, you paint it on the wall, the wall looks terrible. And oddly enough, I kind of feel like marriage works this way sometimes. Dude thinks his pan is perfectly clean. I, I, yes, oblivious. Maybe mom knows, maybe his friends know, but he thinks his pan is clean. And then along comes his bride, pours her life into his, into his pan, and uh, she exposes all kinds of grit and crud, and there's a whole lot of gunk that gets revealed. And guys, you've got a couple of ways you can respond to this. One is to ignore her, to shut down, to tune out, to be upset, and therefore belittle how she's perceiving things and revealing sin in your life just by her presence. Or you can do what Peter is saying here, which is to honor and respect her and appreciate the perspective that she brings not only to, to you, but also to everything. It's a perspective that you get to unite with. All right, fourth thing, the weaker partner. This phrase sounds a little odd, but follow me here. What the NIV calls partner, it's a pottery word. The ESV says vessel, a container. What does a believer contain? Hmm. Essential vitamins and minerals. See 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. So when you look at your believing bride, whether you're drinking coffee together at a table or you're on a walk or when she hasn't awakened in the morning and you're looking at her, look at her and be aware of the faith and the joy that God has intended for her to, fill, to be filled with. And remember that the God of the universe, the creator and judge of everything has made her his temple. When you feel frustrated by her or too tired to bother with her or angry with her, consider, think, the eternal glorious God inhabits that woman. Yay. <laughs> and I like seeing him in you. If you're a believer, you're one of his vessels too, guys. Why is she weaker? The word has to do with physical strength or perhaps cultural power powerlessness. In every case, no. There are some uh, strong women, and there are some women who are powerful and well-connected. But guys, you've got to look at your bride with the heart of a protector as well as a partner. All right, we're on number five, heirs. The gospel isn't patriarchal. What I mean by that is you're not a believer because I'm a believer. You're not a believer because your dad was a believer. You're a believer because Jesus rescued you, and you don't owe it to any other human being. Okay. She's a co-heir with Christ with you. Your bride, your bride-to-be, she's got complete equality with you. So even though your roles differ, her value to God is not less because she's a wife. And your value to God is not greater because you're a husband. Remember that she's royalty and treat her that way. Last one, number six, hindered prayers. I want to be perfectly frank here. I wish we were more worried by this consequence. I wish we had so much encouragement, hope, and fulfillment in our prayers, so great a proximity to the God who listens, that the idea of our prayers being ignored and not answered were more upsetting. Honor your wife. Treat her with respect. Prayer ought to be our way of life 
individually, but also together. And we ought to shudder thinking about the consequence of our prayer not being answered. If you aren't experiencing that, there's a whole world available to you in dependent prayer, not to mention a whole world of connection with your wife. All right, in a minute, we're going to show a video that we liked of John Piper in his own special way uh, talking about when it's hard to connect with your spouse at all and still praying and what that can be like. Before we do that, this is your invitation to offering. We are grateful for God's sustenance in this time, and it happens through his people. So if you are a part of Church of the Valley and you feel led to give, the way you can do that is by snail mailing a check, or you can always use PayPal, whether you've got a PayPal balance or you use a credit card that way. And that information can be found online, should be hovering on the screen. Okay, I'm not sure I've seen a better description of how hard and how wonderful it can be to have a habit of prayer with your spouse than this video. And here's, here's the way it works. So if there's, a, if there's ice in the air, if there's an unresolved issue, I don't know a way forward, time will work it out, I don't know, it's just not good right now, um, it's time to go to bed, nobody feels like praying, I kneel down, I'm the man, this is what men do. They go ahead. To be the head means to go ahead. You go ahead, you kneel down. And if, if she's willing, and Noelle has always been willing, she has kneeled down beside me. And there's this long silence. She never initiates the prayer. I always do that. She waits for me, and I may say, you want to pray tonight, or let's both pray tonight, or whatever, but she waits for me. And we, we may go three minutes. I mean, that's a long time. And I say... God, we don't feel like praying, and I'm sorry. Help us. Amen. That's it. You're done. That's important. That's lousy. That's lousy. Lousy prayer. It's just glorious. It's right. It's what you need to do. It's the way you, it's the way you tend a garden, right? Sun's hot. Garden needs some tending. Go out, pull up some weeds. I don't like to pull up weeds. Well, you want some cabbage in a few months? Go out there and pull up the weeds. That's what it is. I enjoyed that clip. I hope you did too. You may still have questions about submission in marriage. We didn't cover a lot of the really hard circumstances and how to deal with those in a way that uh, acknowledges God and his sovereignty in our lives. So if you have interest in that, some of those things we talked about in a sermon from a few years back, if you're on YouTube, you can search for our 2017 uh, sermon. It's uh, Horizon Series Week 11. That's what you can search for. If you look on the COB website, you'll find it as the sermon from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. And with that said, Karen, could you close us in prayer? Absolutely. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for each person who was able to watch uh, this playlist and this sermon. God, I ask you to move in their hearts and direct them to the things that you want them to know and remember. Uh, the thing that sticks out to me is that submission is hard but good, and so we ask that you'd help us submit to you and to uh, authorities and uh, 
wives would submit to their husbands uh, trusting in your plan for marriage. But really central in that passage was another little bit about being uh, having inward beauty and having Christ-like character. And so whether we are married or single, I pray we'd stop looking at other people and hoping they'll change, but that we'd look to ourselves and partner with you in that plan to, to be sanctified and to look beautiful on the inside. We thank you so much. Amen.